Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. You'll be turning there, and I'll give you the text in just a little bit. But uh, last week I preached about the fact that uh, this wicked world is passing away and uh, will eventually pass away completely. We don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but we can say with certainty that it's closer now than it's ever been before. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And we, you know, we should never wonder about what we ought to be doing during that period of time because the Lord made that perfectly clear. And our mission today is exactly the same as it was the day that the Lord ascended back into heaven, having given the Great Commission. That's what we're to be doing. The problem is, now that we know, and in light of what we talked about last week, the world passing away, and again, I want to emphasize when that word, when he says it's passing away, it means it's in the process of passing away, and it will pass away. There's no doubt about it. It's just that matter of time factor in there. And here we are with the mission the same as it has always been, and we have to carry out our mission while we're involved in a spiritual warfare. There's no doubt about that. And uh, we're, we're going to find ourselves struggling. That's just nature. This morning I thought I'd take time to read some of the struggles that Paul went through. And I'm not, it's over in Second uh, Corinthians there in chapter 11. And I'm not going to take the time to do that, but if you've studied uh, the Bible at all, you know how he was beaten and shipwrecked and hungry and imprisoned and all that he went through. And that was all a part of the process of him serving the Lord. And so the point I'm trying to make is, is that as we serve the Lord and struggle to do so, at the same time there are spiritual forces working against us and so we must work at the same time while we are waging a war against spiritual forces. And I got to thinking that, you know, as tempting as it is to start a study on the subject of prophecy about now, you know, thinking about the end of the world and all of the one world government and the one world church and the Antichrist. And it just there's a temptation there to do a study on prophecy uh, but I'm convinced that now all we need to know is, is that Jesus is coming back. He could come back at any time. It could be today. I believe that's what the Bible teaches, that, that we're to live in the expectation of the Lord's return at any time. Amen. We know that for certain, right? And we know what we ought to be doing in the meanwhile. And that is fulfilling the Great Commission, reaching others for Christ, teaching them. We're to be disciples, making disciples, to, as we put it in the Timothy team. Making, being disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that, that's the way it ought to continue. But the problem is here is that we are at the same time engaged in a spiritual warfare. Now, I hinted at this last week. You know, some people hear preaching like this and they think, you know, it's just an oddball old fogey that's out of touch with, with reality and that uh, these things really can't be true. Well, do you believe in God? 
God is, God is spirit, the Bible says. And if you believe in God, if you believe that the Bible is God's word, then you have to believe that not only is there God, but there is a being called Satan that's real. There are fallen angels, demons. There are real angels, those that watch over God's people. I don't know if you believe that or not, but I don't know why you wouldn't. Because the same Bible that says God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, the very same Bible teaches that there are demons and that there are guardian angels. So we are involved in this spiritual warfare, and that's why I'm going to introduce a series today, and believe me, it, I could preach the rest of the year and not finish this series, but I'm going to try to hold it down to about eight or nine messages. But I want to introduce it today. The series is going to have to do with spiritual warfare. But today I want to talk about we Christians as soldiers, being a, a good soldier. And uh, the sad thing is a lot of folks are really confused about this. And uh, for the most part, it's pastors that have made a serious mistake. And the mistake is in just, you know, giving people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear and leaving the impression that if you become a Christian that everything's going to get easier, everything's going to get better, and you won't have to worry about all that stuff. Preachers all across the country. Right now, as I'm preaching, there, there are preachers preaching to two, three, four, five, ten thousand people and teaching them that a prosperity gospel. Well, they sure didn't get that out of the Bible. They didn't get that from the Apostle Paul. And, and here's the problem. People in general are searching for relief. They're looking for something. They don't really know what it is. They just know that... <coughs> That life could be better and they want it to be better and they need relief of some sort. Brother Kenneth and I was talking this morning about the book of Ecclesiastes and he might be teaching on that here in the near future. But boy, if there's any one book that makes that perfectly clear, that's where it is. That this world is a soap bubble world that we live in, that there is no satisfaction apart from God. Now, people are looking for that something and and the preachers, knowing that, say, I'll give it to them. This, they don't want to hear that old-timey preaching about a devil's hell and flames of fire. They don't want to hear that. They, they, don't, want to, they don't want to get up here and start, you know, enumerating particular sins and denouncing those. They don't want to hear that. And so, uh, so I'll, give them, I'll give them what they're looking for. Now, I realize not all the preachers do that intentionally. But basically, that is what it amounts to, and it started back during what we call the church growth movement, which had to do with getting as many people as you can in as short a period as you can so you can build new buildings and get more people. And it started that easy believism nonsense where you, you teach people, especially little children, you know you can get a little kid to say almost anything. Get them to repeat a prayer and they've never even understood that they are a sinner in the sight of God and they make a profession of faith. Well, here's what happens. Some folks listen to that kind of preaching 
They listen to the preaching that supposedly promises them exactly what they're looking for. There will be a relief. There will be fun. There will be joy. And so they make a profession of faith or join the church or whatever. And everybody's really happy about that. They see how happy the church is, you know, over them making a profession of faith. And then it, all of a sudden it hits. Whatever it is, something happens. All of a sudden the bottom falls out. And now they've got more problems than they've ever had before. And they don't have a clue what's really going on. I thought this was going to be better. I thought for sure that this would solve all of my problems, and it didn't. In fact, uh, my problems are, are even worse. You know, the Bible uses several analogies in order to describe God's people. In fact, I have a whole series on those different analogies. The Bible talks about us, you know, uh, being disciples. It talks about us being believers and on and on. And just here in this chapter that we're looking at in this letter we're looking at we see God's people spoken of as being sons in God's family students in the faith servants in the field and soldiers in the fight and that's what I want you to look at beginning in verse 3 thou therefore now this is Paul who has been through the ringer so to speak and at the same time he said I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in <laughs> After he's gone through, I, some preachers be writing their letter of resignation. They'd be headed out of town. But he says, I've learned to be content. And Paul had joy unspeakable, full of glory. But he says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. And that's where I want the emphasis on the message today. And being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, if we go back to 1 Timothy, you don't need to turn there, but in verse 18 of the first chapter, he says, this charge, now this is more than a suggestion, I'm, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Then in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time the next eight weeks in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, it's about time some folks realize that because all they do is go around fighting against others and antagonizing others. And, and they, they, think, they think the enemy is others. He said, we're not at war against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, as I said, we're going to really dig into that verse and the ones before it and the ones after it for the next several weeks, a few months, in fact. And we need, to, we need to understand what we experience and what God expects. That word warfare is talking about a campaign. It's not a mere battle. Like we just all, all of a sudden just got in a little skirmish with the devil today. Boy, I had a bad day. The devil 
You know, he hadn't bothered me in six months, but boy, today he just wore me out fighting against me. Let me tell you, we are in a constant warfare, and that's what he's speaking about here. It's a campaign. It's not a mere battle. This, this is something more than, than occasional opposition. It's a continuous conflict. And by the way, you've been in that conflict since the day you received Christ as your Savior. So as believers, we need to be battle ready, prepared for what's coming because uh, it's coming. It's coming. Some of you are in the middle of the fight and you don't even realize you're in a fight. I know there's a lot of things that people would rather that I preach and uh, yet I'm compelled by the Lord to, to deal with certain details that's going to help make us to be victors instead of victims of this warfare. Ever since the fall, this warfare has been raging. And you remember back Adam and Eve, and all of a sudden, having disobeyed God, there was a curse upon the earth. And the, the, the curse, of course, involves Satan. Satan, I mean, that bright light of God's creation that Oh, wow, just uh, top-notch. And you become proud. <laughs> Rather than praising God for how God had created him, he became proud and was determined that he wanted to take the show over. He wanted to run things. He didn't want to be a part of what God was doing. He wanted to be the one that, that determined what was going to happen. So this morning, I want you to think about being a good soldier. Because if you're a child of God, you're either a good soldier or A-W-O-L. I mean, you're either absent without leave, you're either a traitor, or you're going to be a good soldier. There's no middle ground. First of all, the reality of it, where, again, verse 12, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And he goes on and explains the powers that are in opposition to us. This is speaking about a struggle. We wrestle not. That's exerting energy. Fighting. War. And notice three things about the reality of it. First of all, there are many mistakes about the subject because a lot of folks, they just ridicule the idea of a real spiritual warfare. Uh, you know, they believe there's no God, there's no devil, there's no heaven, there's no hell, and just mark all of that off their list. But that doesn't change the reality of the fact. And so there are a lot of mistakes about the subject and a lot of misconceptions about the scriptures, by the way, because in their mind, again, Christianity ought to be fun. It ought to be convenient. It ought to be even profitable and exciting. And everybody ought to be happy and just joyful. I've talked about my dad back before he trusted the Lord his Savior coming and listening to me preach. Then he stopped coming. I said, Dad, why don't you, why'd you quit coming? He said, I thought church was supposed to be fun. I thought it was supposed, you're supposed to feel better after being at church. And he didn't understand you have to be born again before you feel better. And even, listen, there are days that we Christians all leave here with tears in our eyes instead of, instead of a big smile on our face. 
I'm talking about tears in our eyes being brokenhearted because, because not only of those that are lost and dying without Christ, but because that in this spiritual war there are those that are being defeated every day, those that are being torn apart, as it were, those that are really saved on their way to heaven, and somewhere or another the devil got advantage of them. Oh, we call them dropouts or backsliders or whatever we want, but the fact is, some way or another, the devil got advantage of them, and they are losing in the battle. And all of this happens because there's too much misinformation being spread about it. And that gets back to preachers preaching what's popular instead of what's really the important issue. So there shouldn't be any question about the reality of this battle. If you're a child of God this morning with a determination in your heart that you want to please God, you already know what I'm talking about. This is a reality. You are in a fight, and you're not going to just succeed by hap happenstance. It's not just going to happen. It, it's going to have to be something that's, that enables you to succeed. So we are in a spiritual battle, and notice the reason for it. Ephesians verse 11 of chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand what against the wiles of the devil. Well, we could talk, have a lot of things that I could say about the devil this morning, but I don't want to give him that much attention. He doesn't deserve it. But there are some things about Satan that we need to understand. We need to understand that his purpose is to destroy. It's been that way since the Garden of Eden, that he wants to destroy people. The plan is what? Well, the plan is to deceive them. Go back and study the story there, the deceptive nature of Satan there in the garden as Adam and Eve were deceived, especially Eve deceived in that whole thing. And he's still using deception today. He can come to us in numerous different ways. The power of Satan is demonic. And because of his pride, he is determined. He's not going to throw in the towel. He's not going to give up. This is something that we've got to contend with till the day that we die. As long as we are on this earth, we're going to be involved in this battle. Thank God there's coming a time, coming a day, whenever Satan's going to be done with forever. But it's not going to be because of what we do. It'll be because of what the Lord does when the kingdom of God is established here on earth, on this new earth, and King Jesus rules over it all. And then that old serpent is going to be taken and bound and cast into the lake of fire. His days of occupying and influencing people as the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. All that's going to be over then. But until that happens, we're going to be in a battle. Think about the determination of the devil. Even after the millennial reign, now get this, after the Lord comes, seven years of tribulation, and then a thousand year reign, because the Lord's coming back with his people to reign upon this earth, 
and, and can you imagine how wonderful it's going to be during that thousand years with Jesus ruling on the earth and his own people ruling with him, the Bible says. And at the end of that wonderful thousand years, there's still going to be enough people here on this earth that the devil will marshal an army to fight against what the Lord's doing. That's, that's when he'll be destroyed forever. But until then, regardless of how good things seem to be on this earth, we are in this warfare. And we have a responsibility. And that's exactly what he says here. Chapter 6, look at verse 11, verse, I'm in Ephesians, and verse 13. I want you to notice that four times in those three verses, he uses the word stand, that ye may be able to stand. That's the key word in this section that sums up the purpose of all of the other exhortations there in, in Ephesians chapter number 6, that we might stand. That indicates opposition. Every, in other words, every step we take is going to be in the face of opposition. We ought to expect it, and we have to learn to deal with it. It implies obligation. This is an order, not an option. He says, stand. By the way, it wasn't always easy for Timothy. Not only did he see what Paul had gone through, it wasn't always easy for Timothy to stand because the false teachers were doing their very best to overthrow the work that the Lord had established. And Paul is saying to the young preacher, Timothy, stand. Don't you dare give in. Don't back up. Don't compromise. Stand. And we're to be good soldiers. Good soldiers stand their ground. And that involves a lot of things, a sermon all to itself. It has to do with singleness of purpose, for one thing. You know, you, you can't have two or three things on your agenda. You have to have only one thing on your agenda. The main thing is that of pleasing the Lord who saves your soul. There has to be separation there in 2 Timothy 2, 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him with chosen him to be a soldier. Now, we've got, we've got uh, veterans here today. We've got folks that served in different branches of the armed forces, and they know exactly what I'm talking about whenever I say that there has to be a separation from the other things in life. I remember when Jason was in Fort Jackson, and, uh, and boy, what a wake-up call that is for someone, you know. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've been through the initial steps of enlisting and getting in the Army and the promises the recruiter gave them and all of that, boy, the party's over the day that you get off the bus or whatever there, and all of a sudden you realize that, wait a minute, you know, Sarge, the World Series is next week. It would be all right if I took off a week? <laughs> no, your days of taking off whenever you want to or doing whatever you want to, it's over then. It's over then. And that's what he is saying here. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. It can be good things, things in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with, but if it hinders you from being a good soldier of Jesus Christ, there are things that are distractions, and distractions are dangerous, that all of a sudden, instead of you fighting the good fight of faith, 
you're dabbling around in things of the world that is not going to help you one bit when it comes to spiritual things. And being a good soldier demands that there be submission. You think mom and dad is difficult to live with? Wait, you know, wait till you get to, wait till you get to boot camp. There won't be no picnic there because they're going to tell you when you can eat and what you can do and everything. And there has to be submission. There needs to be skill in the use of weapons. There's going to be suffering. There needs to be steadfastness and study. All of a sudden, you're studying things and that you, that you never even dreamed had anything to do with being a soldier. You're thinking to yourself, well, I, I didn't get any of these classes in school. I never thought about I'd need this information when I get in the Army. I thought it'd all be different than that. You know why I think the number one reason why we fail to be good soldiers, I believe this, is that the average church member here or anywhere else fails to spend enough time in the Word of God to keep themselves safe from Satan in this warfare. You can't get enough of what you need being in Sunday school, morning worship, Sunday evening worship, Wednesday night, you can do all that and you'll never get as much as you need. It's, it's impossible. We spiritually starve ourselves to death. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, he said, Lest Satan could get advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Well, Paul wasn't. And the people he taught, they were not ignorant of the devil's devices, but there are a lot of folks who are. That word device has to do with the plans and the schemes of the devil. And then he said for, notice he says, not ignorant of his devices, and he uses the word wiles to speak about Satan. This is the strategy. This is the method that he employs. And he says in verse 14 of that chapter, and no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, a messenger of light. You know, people that know him might call him reverend or father or whatever, you know. He's recognized as a preacher. And yet, he was one of the messengers, actually, of Satan. And I'm not trying to pick on a particular denomination. There are non-denominational churches around here that are just as dangerous as the Catholic Church. Because any time that we pervert the teaching, the clear teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're leading folks down a, down a dead-end trail that leads to a devil's hell. In verse 15 of that same chapter, he said, Therefore, it is of no great thing that his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. In other words, they're going to get what they deserve. But meanwhile, these false teachers are, are 
absolutely corrupting the Word of God and misleading people. And that's why it is essential for you and I. Don't ever believe anything just because Brother Kenneth says it. I, I'm more confidential as much in Brother Kenneth as I do anybody in this building right now. Don't ever believe anything just because he says it. Don't believe anything just because I say it. Because we might be wrong on something. But when the Bible says it, you can trust it. Again, Brother Kenneth and I was talking about a subject. I won't even mention what it is. But one that will come up uh, in the next... <laughs> it's according how long I live, I guess. But there are some things we talk about all of the time that that we're totally confused about. And there's no reason to be confused because the Bible is clear about those things. But, boy, we've just been confused. And we'll remain confused unless we get into the Word of God ourselves. And as I said last week, this also includes an opportunity because most of the time we get to thinking about it. Oh, how bad it is. I, I wish I hadn't even come today. Here we go again, all the moaning, the groaning, now bad the world is, and, and I've got to fight against the devil. Now I've got to read my Bible every night. No, I didn't tell you to read your Bible every night. I said study your Bible every day. I'll t- tell you a good rule of thumb. Let's suppose that Bubba come to you this afternoon and said, I want you to teach a particular Sunday school class next week. Oh, some of well, I've never taught a class before. Well, you're going to now. And so you say, okay, I don't have anybody else to do it. You're, you're it. And whatever the subject is, you need to study that subject so that after you've taught it next week that you're ready to answer whatever questions those kids might have. That'll keep you busy all week, by the way, because they know how to answer some really, ask some really good questions. We ought to be studying our Bible in the same way. Whether it's a subject in the Bible or the book of the Bible or a verse of the Bible, Somebody said, oh, I read through my Bible every year. Well, that's good, but that's not nearly enough. It takes more than just reading, and we'll get to that later on when we start putting on the armor of God, by the way. But as bad as things are, it gives us a great opportunity. Why? Because those same people that others are taking advantage of, those people that are looking and longing for something, those same people need exactly what you've got. And when they see the real thing, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have an opportunity You see, it's not just going to help you by way of your spiritual growth, by way of you resisting the temptations against you, but it's going to help others because the best advertisement in the world for Christianity is a spirit-filled, victorious Christian, a good soldier. That's the best advertisement, the worst are those that uh, 
are not good soldiers, those that are not preparing themselves for the battle. And when others, whether it's your classmate, your co-worker, your family, when other people begin to see the difference that God makes in your life, all of a sudden, they start thinking, well, maybe that's what I need. Because I can't, I can't believe they've had it so bad and that they're doing so good. I can't believe they overcome those sins in their life. I can't believe that they live a, a life of joy and peace and happiness. I, can't, I just can't believe that. And when they see the difference that Jesus makes, all of a sudden their ear is open and you have an opportunity that you never had before. So all of this brings us down to the resources because you dare not go into, into battle, into a war without any resources. And that's exactly what he speaks about here in Ephesians chapter 6. It says in verse number 11 and 13, notice that he speaks about the whole armor of God. And that's what we'll be dealing with starting uh, two weeks from today because another related message I think I speak on next week the whole armor of God oh it's so easy to read through that and just look at those things that are mentioned here and uh, and think about we've got it all together and we never really give serious consideration to what he's even saying about the armor of God the, the girdle of the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness well, what in the world is he talking about you need to know we talk about the resources for winning we need to understand what does it mean to win well I'll tell you one thing it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're winning the battle because now we've been able to overcome recent temptations against us and now we've got a better attitude and we quit this habit and we quit that habit and so that doesn't, that's, that's not necessarily winning Winning the battle doesn't mean all of a sudden your suffering comes to an end. That's not what it's all about. Winning the battle means that we are doing the will of God from the heart, that we're doing that which pleases God, that we're doing that which will cause the Lord to say to us when we stand before Him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's winning. And every Christian can win if they will. But they need to consider not just the meaning of winning, but the means to winning. And that's what, that's what this armor of God is all about. That's the means by which we're able to overcome the deceptions of the devil. So let me mention some things that we need to do, and I promise I'm through. Number one, we have to develop a warfare mentality. Because most people do not have that. For most people, you know, we're, uh, it's, a, well, it's a cruise ship, you know. Or, and that's not, I'm not putting anybody down when I say that, by the way. I should have thought that through. But we've made the church a cruise ship instead of a battleship, you see. We, we want it to be all about fun and games in the church and... And we don't realize, man, we are in a, in a warfare. 
And we have to have that warfare mentality. We need to devise a, what, this is a military term, a forward-leaning defense. That means that we build up our defense, that we're ready for the fight before the attack happens. And it's like I've often told people, don't wait don't wait until something happens and you're there in the hospital and the doctor comes out and says, I've done all I can do. You're going to die. Or your loved one's going to die. And all of a sudden you are in a crisis and all of a sudden you begin to remember verses of Scripture that you've heard. And let me tell you, somebody called, Brother Kenneth, could you come down to the hospital? I need you to come down here and pray for us. That's not a bad thing to do, by the way, and I know he's willing. Thank God for that. But if you're going to get through it, you need to be preparing yourself spiritually for whatever you might have to deal with before it gets here because we're not talking about the Bible being, you know, some magical wand that we can wave that makes everything okay. No, it doesn't work that way. You starve yourself spiritually. When the crisis comes, I'll guarantee you, you're going to end up falling flat on your face. And that's why we're talking about having this forward-leaning defense, being prepared for whatever is going to come. But there's another thing. We need to depend on others. That might kind of surprise you that I would say that because... You know, I've often said you can't put your trust in man. Well, that's true. Even God doesn't trust in man. He, he depends on his own wisdom and power rather than man. But like it or not, we do need one another. And the New Testament is full of one another. We, we need each other. That's why the Lord established the local church. Now, there's more to it than that, but that's one reason. He, he didn't say, whenever he gave the Great Commission, even some preachers have got it wrong. They think, well, that's, the Great Commission is for everybody. Well, Pat Boone believed that, and that's why back whenever he made a profession of faith many years ago, he was a popular singer, by the way, young people, so to catch you up. He'd go around trying to be a mini Billy Graham and uh, hold these uh, meetings and if there were any converts since he was staying at the Howard Johnson uh, Motel and had a swimming pool, he was baptizing them there. He has no authority to baptize anyone. I don't have any authority to baptize anyone. The authority to baptize is the local church, the Lord's church. And the Great Commission was given to the church. He said, well, how do you know that? We want to know that because he says whenever he called out the twelve at the very beginning, he said he said some in the apostles, the apostles in the church. He established the church on the day of Pentecost. He established during his earthly ministry and gave it its ministry to carry out here on this earth. And he didn't say, look, all of you just go out here and uh, you start preaching and witnessing and baptizing people. This is the commission that's given to the church, and the church is all together about us being what? One body in Christ. This church is more important than you are. The welfare of this church is more important than you or me or anybody else. And we need to depend upon one another. 
The Greeks understood that way back 700 years B.C. They had these long shields, and all of a sudden, you know, they devised a plan where those soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder to shoulder, those shields up there. It's like building a portable wall with the troops then behind it. And some of the other armies, they hadn't thought of anything like that, and that's why the Greeks just wiped them out. Let me tell you, we need to, we need to be like a, a wall built together in Christ, depending, so intertwined, our lives intertwined, that we strengthen one another. I think of those giant redwoods out there, and I've read about the roots and how they're all intertwined with one another and each one holding the other one up. That's what we need as a church, to be able to depend on one another. And lastly, we need to dedicate ourselves to the long term. Just about every neighborhood has a neighborhood bully. It's always been that way. It's a pecking order, like chickens, you know. Peck each other to death. Always going to be, always going to be one surviving, one that doesn't survive. And it's that way in neighborhoods. It's that way in school. It's that way in life. And throughout life, we're going to be in this long-term battle until somebody puts the neighborhood bully down. And I want to tell you, if you will do what the Lord teaches you to do in Ephesians chapter 6, there's no reason that, that you have to be defeated by the devil. I didn't say that you I didn't say that you'll never suffer. I didn't say you'll never be mistreated because you will. People are people, they're sinful. People will mistreat you, abuse you, do everything else, but you don't have to you don't have to let that affect you. You don't have to lose the battle that's going on in your life and suffer the harm that it brings about. You you don't have to let that happen. Because when we've got on the armor of God, He protects us and enables us to keep going even, even when we feel like we're finished. Amen. Now don't forget, who's Paul writing to? Christians, right? He's writing to a church. A church at Ephesus. A church that was dear to his heart. And I mention that because maybe you're here today and you're not a member of this church. You're not a member of any church. You've never received Christ as your Savior. And you need to understand until you're saved, you're without help and you're without hope. I'm sorry. That, that's the way it is with every person that's born into this world. There's no hope. There's no help. Without Christ, you're doomed to damnation. We don't hear much about that word anymore, but it's real. Christ is our only hope. Somebody says, well, I need a new start. No. Look, you can, even if you could overcome certain habits in your life, even if you joined the church, you sang in the choir, you gave more than the 10%, and you did all of those things, you're still not going to get what you need because you need Christ. You don't need a new start. You need a new heart. And the moment that you trust Christ as your Savior, 
The Spirit of God comes to live within you, and all of a sudden you become somebody you've never been before. Oh, you live at the same address. They call you by the same name, but you're not the same person. The Bible says you become a new creature in Christ. That's what you need. Join the army. Amen. You're not ready to face what Satan's going to throw at you until you become a child of God in the family of God. And then automatically, you say, well, I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want to become a soldier in the fight. I just forget that. No, you don't understand. You're already being beat down, defeated in every way because the Bible says of unsaved people, they're taken captive by the devil at his will. That's a quote. They're taken captive by the devil at his will. I thought I was running the show up until I was 24 years old. I thought I was my boss. I'm the one that when I was 16 set that half pint of Jim Beam down on the table and looked at mom and dad said, you know I've been drinking and I'm not hiding it anymore. I'm going to drink it anytime I want to. What an idiot. I thought I was running the show. Boy, by the time I tell you that Satan got to working me over, I knew I knew I wasn't in control, and I needed something that I couldn't find anywhere else. And thank God for somebody said, said "Why don't you come go to church with us next week?" I didn't think I'd like it. I, I was a friend, so I said, "Okay, I will." I did. For the first time in my life. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over the next few weeks, all I could think about was Romans 5, 8. I love to send that while we were yet sinners. I, I could, I, if somebody walked up to me and said, I hate your guts. By the way, some people did. That wouldn't surprise me. They had good reason to hate me. But for a preacher to get up there and say, God loves you. <laughs> he knows more about you than anybody else. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. And he proved it by giving his son to die on the cross. If you want to win the battle today, folks, listen, it starts with having a new heart by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've been saved today, and you might not admit it, but you know deep down within your heart that you're struggling, you know you're in a warfare, and if you'll be honest, you'd have to admit, and I'm losing. I'm losing. I don't want it to be this way. I didn't plan for it, but I'm losing. I'm going backwards instead of forward. Satan's getting the advantage of me and defeating me and stopping me from doing the will of God. Then do something about it. Put on the whole armor of God. And we'll talk more about it next week. Let's all stand, Brother David's going to come and the musicians and we're going to
extend this invitation. If you're here and not saved, we pray you will be. If God's speaking to you about something else and you just maybe want want somebody to pray with, you, you come, or maybe you don't want anybody, you just want to pray, whatever it is. Maybe you want to pray for someone, someone you know, someone you love, and that Satan has got them in his grip, and he's going to destroy them, and you know it, unless something happens. That's something to pray about. Father, use your word this morning not only to inform our mind, but to literally change the intent of our heart, the manner of our life, the desire of our soul. Help us, Lord, to be a good soldier and help us, Heavenly Father, to not give in to the temptations of Satan, but rather to follow the Great Commission that we might be the kind of disciple that helps lead others to Christ and help them to win the victory in Christ. But we pray in His name, amen. All we say. Have thine way, Lord. Have thine We're just an old lump of clay, old piece of worthless clay. The Lord's saying, give me your life and I'll, I'll make you a vessel fit for the master's use.